Open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 15. Uh, we're in this series on the life of Moses, and some of you have kind of been in and out on the series with some travels and this and that. So to recap and bring you up to speed with where we are in the series, remember God picked Moses via a burning bush and ignited a fuelless fire in his heart and said, hey, I pick you, I've got something to do for you, and it's not going to be dependent upon you. It's going to be a, a fire that's ignited independent of you and will burn. And Moses tried to resign. He tried to resign multiple times. He came up with a four-layer excuse cake. He tried to eat his four layers of excuses. He tried to walk away. How'd that work out? Didn't work out so well, right? Because when you've got a fuelless fire in your heart, you can't not do what it is the fuelless fire is leading and calling you to do, which, by the way, is a great indication when you know it's of God. When you get to the point where you say, Lord, find anyone else to do it, but oh, I guess I have to do it. That's when you know the Lord's in it. And so that was Moses. And then he starts out in the journey. How did it go for him as he stepped up and stepped out? Was it just like smooth sailing? Did he just step out and he went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh was so cooperative? No, that's not how it went, right? He goes, he does what God asked him to do, and it goes from bad to worse. And we talked about that, right? We talked about, hey, Lord, why is this so hard? I'm doing what you ask me to do. I'm walking in the ways you want me to walk. I'm listening to your voice. And why is this so hard? And Pharaoh's being obstinate and there's 10 plagues and the people are being really frustrating to lead. I mean, it was a rough stretch. Moses is 80 and he got to draft in his 83-year-old partner. So you've got 80 and 83 leading this massive exodus out of Egypt. And it went from bad to worse. And then finally, the Passover, and there was the midnight exodus out, and God finally got Pharaoh to release his grip. It took 10 rounds of plagues. Remember this kind of habit we all have where God's like, I need you to loosen the grip and open up your hand on that. You're like, okay, Lord, nope, not so much, right? Uh, nope, not so much. That's kind of the pattern we have to work through until the 10th plague, and finally Pharaoh opened up his hand, and they exit out, and it was like, yes, it was glimpse, descent, breakthrough. Remember that rhythm? glimpse. God said, I got something for you to do. Descent. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be long and winding. And then breakthrough. You're going you're gonna to get out. You're going to go. Freedom from slavery. Hallelujah. And then it was last week. Did he just go straight to the promised land? Was it a direct route? Is God into direct and efficient and fast? No. Obviously, no. He's not. It was the long and winding way. And if you haven't already pulled out your notes in your notes there, or pull up on the, on the app, pull out the notes there, and there's a recap of the map from last week, the long and winding way. Well, it's God's way, right? And so we looked at the importance of just uh, cooperating with God on the journey that Moses is where he is supposed to be, and the people are walking and following pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, but it's not particularly going the route that they would prefer it to go. Anybody discovered this in life with God, that his route is most likely not our route. His timetable is definitely not our timetable. And it's God's way. God's way is the long and winding way. And then he leads them to an uncrossable body of water, the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's like, you know what? I want you all back. So he releases the grip. He's like, nope, I want him back. So he sends his army and his chariots, and they're rumbling over the hills towards the Israelites. So on one side, it's the angry Egyptian army, on the other side, it's an uncrossable body of water. And Moses is standing there, and the people are like, what did you do? Just bring us out here to die? It's a rough day for a spiritual leader in this role. Moses like, and the Lord says, hey, just stand still, right? And you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. So last week, we looked at how God parted the waters. Parted the waters. He surrounded them with a ring of fire, protected them. They crossed through. The waters sweep the Egyptians away. It's an unbelievable moment. 
It was breakthrough again, right? Breakthrough to exit, breakthrough to protect you. And that's where we are in the story now. And I want to begin the message with a quote I put in your notes. R.T. Kendall was a pastor, uh, Westminster Chapel in London for a number of years. Here's what he said. Sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who were on the cutting edge of what God did last. Do you track that? That's a commentary on this part of the story with the Israelites and their exodus. So the Red Sea's been parted. They cross. Egyptians are wiped out. It looks like home free to the promised land. But the pillar of fire turns to the south, not to the north, not on the short way, not on the direct route, but on the, they, not orange line, went blue line from last week. They're on the blue line, the winding way, the long route. And they go from one desert to the next, and along the way, here's what they're doing. Verse, verse 19 of chapter 15, this is uh, Moses' sister Miriam, worship leader. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourine and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. So this is a, a picture of gratitude that's expressed in worship. By the way, that's the appropriate response to breakthrough moments with God. When God moves some mountains in your life, when he parts some waters, when he answers some prayers, when he steps in, steps up, and shows off, when he does that, what's the rightful response of people on the receiving end of that? It's Exodus 15 song. You strike up the band, you fill up the choir, you gather folks together, and you sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. That's the rightful response of breakthrough moments in our lives. And that's what's going on with the Israelite community. Miriam's leading them in worship. They're singing. They're exalting God. There's been breakthrough. They went glimpse. They went descent. They went breakthrough. All is looking amazing. And then chapter 16. And right on the heels, as I entitled today, there's this mixed bag of grumbling that gets sprinkled in with our gratitude. Gratitude and grumbling. Six weeks after the Red Sea was parted, here's the scene. Verse 1, chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Boy, interesting name there, huh? which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community, underlined grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So where they are now is they, the direct route would have been north and the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud turned south. So they turned south down that blue line and they're wandering now down into their first and second deserts because it turned into a five desert 40 year track the orange line was a three-week, 200-mile trek. And God's with them on the blue line, and the blue line's turning, and they're singing and worshiping, at least on the front end of it, but evidently it gets a little longer than they preferred it, so they start grumbling. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So I want, you to, I want you to put a note in your Bible here. I love the Hebrew word for grumbled. 
I discovered it for the first time in preparing for this message. I put it in your notes. It's the Hebrew word loon, L-U-W-N. Say that with me, loon. Say it again, loon. Now here's what it literally means, obstinate complaining. So follow this now. So God heard the cries of the people when they were in 400 years of captivity and slavery in Egypt. He hears their cries. He considers their circumstances. He intervenes through Moses. He extracts them out of Pharaoh's iron grip. He leads them across the Red Sea. He surrounds them with a ring of fire. He causes the sea to collapse over the Egyptians. The Israelites are on dry ground. The Egyptian army's been wiped out. They're now taking a trek. The line is going a little bit longer and a little bit slower than they preferred. In other words, the journey is not quite as smooth in the desert as they thought it was going to be. But they've just been extracted from being slaves in Egypt. And they call out that they what? They want to go back. They're focused, selective history here, right? We have an ability to edit where God's just delivered us from. We go back and we just choose to selectively remember some things. They're focused on eating pots of meat. And they lost sight over all that recent history just six weeks ago. And they're so focused on just, well, when we were in Egypt, we at least had all these pots of meat. Never mind the fact that you were slaves. Did you forget about your brick quota? Did you forget about what it means to have the whip on your back? Did you remember all the hundreds of years you cried out to be delivered? Did you forget about the sea parting and the ring of fire protecting? Did you forget all that and you're focused on pots of meat? Church, this is what I'm going to define today as going loony. They're absolutely loony. Are you kidding me? And this is what happens to us. Six weeks removed from breakthrough. Glimpse, descent, breakthrough. Which, by the way, just when you go through that cycle once, you don't graduate from that. Sorry, Charlie. God cycles us back to glimpse and takes us through descent and leads us through another breakthrough. And that's what this blue line scenario is all about. God did give them some breakthrough, and now he's given them a glimpse. Promised land is where they're headed. Descent is. It's going to be five deserts and 40 years and some grinding work there. But you're going to get there eventually. Breakthrough will come. And in this process, the people go loony. I don't think this is just an Israelite thing. I think this is a humanity thing. We do this all the time, do we not? I do this all the time. I forget that God just answered a prayer and just moved a mountain and just parted a sea. I forget how God came through and stepped up and showed up and showed off in some ways. I forget, and I get so preoccupied with whatever the current circumstance is and frustrated about how it's going that I selectively kind of edit where I just came from. And my pull is to go back to old life, old self, old ways. That's a human condition. I can go loony on the story. I can start obstinately complaining to the Lord. And the pull is to return to what is known and comfortable. Never mind the fact that that was slavery. Never mind the fact it was oppression and bondage that God set you free from. And the pull is to go back just because you know about it. It's old self, old life, old ways. And just keep living on this blue line with God and you're going to feel this pull. Especially when the line goes from second desert, third desert, fourth desert. And the pull is going to be, ah, oh, you just forget and when we forget, we move into this obstinate complaining mode. First with the Lord, often. Sometimes the outlet is the spiritual leaders. 
Moses and Aaron. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I had a lot of empathy for them in this part of the story. I'm like, oh, Lord. As a pastor, my observation is at times when I'm on the receiving end of some grumbling, whether it's directed towards me specifically or towards other staff or towards the elders or whatever, towards church stuff, often what we what we make, try to make a people, a people to people issue, you know what I've figured out through the years? Often, it's really a people and God issue. It's just being transferred to a people and people issue. Now, I wish I would have handled some of those things better to confess to you. I haven't always handled those things well. Because sometimes when it's a people grumbling against people issue, it can be really frustrating. And you can get impatient yourself, and you can get frustrated. I'm sure Moses and Aaron had some rough nights of prayer with the Lord on them. What are we going to do, and how are we are going to handle this, and we're just six weeks removed. And, but, and we'll see in just a moment, God calls them out on it. says, hey, you've taken to Moses and Aaron what's really an issue between you and me. Which, by the way, that happens on a lot of fronts. Perhaps the issue at home isn't a spouse-to-spouse issue. Perhaps the issue at home is a spouse-and-Jesus issue. Perhaps the issue at work isn't a boss-subordinate kind of, uh, I've got to struggle with my director-manager. Perhaps it's a me-and-Jesus issue, not a me-and-my-boss issue. Or perhaps the issue in local church life isn't a, a me and the pastor or me and the board or me and the staff, whatever it issue. Maybe it's a me and the Lord issue. And we go loony in this. We just go loony. We just get an obstinate complaining. And we selectively remember what we want to remember. And we have a tendency to go back to our old ways, old self, old life. That's where the Israelites are in the story. Six weeks removed. And you're sitting there going, oh, man, if I would have been a part of that, there's no way I would have voiced this. I don't know. I think it's kind of a commentary on our human condition, our fallenness. And why the muscle of gratitude has to be worked so hard. Why Thanksgiving week is an important time, not just for our culture, but for the body of Christ to work these muscles of the way God has come through. Now watch what he does. Verse four, the Lord steps in. The Lord says to Moses, sure Moses was so grateful, have a voice from the Lord in this moment. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. Underline that. I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So the Lord says, I'm going to provide, but the way I provide is going to be a trust test. Did you see that? He's going to provide, but the way he's going to do it, what's he going to test? He's going to see if they're going to follow him and obey him. By the way, it tells you what is he harvesting out of the blue line. What's up with the blue line? It's that stuff. Trust me, obey me. Remember we looked at Deuteronomy 8? To mature, to obey, to discipline, all these things. What's all, what's all about? Humble, to test. That's what the blue line stuff is. And so he says, yeah, I'm going to come through. I'm going to give you some manna from heaven. It won't be pots of meat like you had in Egypt. I'm going to provide the way I want to provide, and the way I do it is going to bring a test. So it's all about who they're becoming on the journey to the promised land. Remember that? It's not about just getting them to the promised land. It's about the kind of people they are when they get there. So here we are. They're going loony, obstinate complaining. God's like, I'm going to step in. I'm going to provide, but I'm going to set up some boundaries because I'm going to try to harvest out some greater trust and obedience in it. Because clearly in this part of the story, you can see how the Lord says, you're not ready for the promised land yet. Do you see why he's not ready to just zap them into the promised land? 
if they're already forgetting what he just did six weeks ago, what's it going to be like if they got to the promised land? They're really going loony in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They're supposed to represent him to the rest of the nations of the world. He's like, hey, nope, more blue line. We got more descent, descent, descent before we get to that breakthrough. Verse 8, look what he says. Moses then says, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling underlined against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Do you see that? So Moses says, hey, God gave him enough insight there to say, hey, you're trying to make this a grumble against me thing and really it's a grumble against the Lord thing. Your issue with her isn't really with me. Your issue's with, you got a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud issue. The pillar is not going the way you want it to go. And so you're trying to coach the pillar onto your orange line stuff, and God's all about the blue line. And so Moses like, hey, so just be clear, this is how you're going to know. And when you look at the number of times in this chapter, just the word grumbles used, by the way, it's the same word, loon, all the way through it, obstinate complaining. And I thought about how... Isn't that such a commentary on the reputation of the church, kind of big C church across North America over the last hundred years or so? I mean, we've got supper, we've got a PhD in grumbling, the body of Christ in our culture this way. I mean, we'll rally around and complain about anything, protest all these things. Our actual whole movement, Protestant movement, we're a Protestant group. So we formed as a protest. Do you see it's kind of in our DNA this way? So we got to work out this loony, grumbling, obstinate, complaining stuff. Because anything that just doesn't line up with what we think ought to be, we're just, you know, we're picketing and we're protesting and we're rioting and we're Facebook posting and we're doing all these crazy hashtag things. And listen to what Mark Batterson says about this. I love how he puts it straight to the point. Too often the church complains against the culture instead of creating it. The energy being spent on criticism is being stolen away from creativity. It's sideways energy. I try to live by Michelangelo's maxim, criticize by creating. Quit complaining about what's wrong and do something that makes a difference. Write a better book, start a better business, create a better product, run a better campaign, draft a better bill, produce a better movie. Amen. Right? Can you imagine the glory God would receive if we took the energy that we're spending obstinately complaining about what's wrong and put that energy on doing something about what should be right? Can you imagine? Instead of just going loony over everything that's bad, how about putting all that energy in to create something good? And what would happen to our world and the glory God would receive and the reputation his name would have with his people on this earth? I think it's an important part of this story and what God's trying to harvest out of them right here. I think it's also trying to harvest out of us as a body of Christ, big C church these days. And so verse 17, let's see what the Lord does here. The Israelites did as they were told. Oh, that sounds good. Hold on now. Some gathered, notice some, some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, omer, by the way, is nine cups. So if you want this picture of how much they're having, nine cups. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Oh, that sounds so good if the story just ended right there. Oh, that's right. Hallelujah. We're ready to move back on that blue line and head back towards the promised land. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Is that a clear instruction? Don't keep it till morning. Next sentence. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. 
I love the Bible. It's just so candid and straightforward. There's no way a human being could author this book. There's no way. If you're going to set up a book to try to create a, a case for adopting this religion, you wouldn't keep all these stories like this in here. You wouldn't do it this way. This book is so unique, it's got to be God who wrote this story. It's such a commentary on our humanity and how spiritual leadership works with people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought we just had this conversation. I sit with someone in my office, I write out a little sticky note, say, hey, here's what we're committing to this week, right? Step one, two, and three. Yep, all in. By Friday, some of them paid no attention to Moses. By Friday, we didn't pay attention to point one, two, or three. What's not clear about this? Anybody else been there? As a parent, if you're not there, just keep parenting. If a spiritual leader, you're not there, just keep trying to help people walk with Jesus. It's gonna, you're going to have times where it's like, hey, what's not clear about this? It's not rocket science what he's asking them to do. It's pretty straightforward. Just don't keep it till morning. They kept part of it, ha, huh, until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. <laughs> this is amazing, right? So they're like, oh, we're just going to keep a little on the side because what's the core of this? It's a trust test. They're flunking the trust test because they're just hedging their bets a little, right? not sure God's going to give me on that day what I need, so I'm going to keep a little extra for that day. And then they wake up and it's full of maggots. It's just like the Lord, like we're going to try to fake him. Anybody ever try to figure out like you're, you're going to go over and say, hey, God, just turn your face the other way. This I'm going to go over here and whoo, pile on the sin over here. Like you're going to do that without him looking. We play this game. Like God's not going to get the last word here. He just, well, that's going to be full of maggots. Boy, I'm just picturing that group when they sit with Moses and Aaron. Ooh, that had to be a... That had to be a tough conversation at some point. They're like, hey, how come there are maggots in all of this? So some passed the Lord's trust test. Hey, yeah, most, yeah, you did a good job. Way to go. And others flunked it badly. That's so like us as people. And so now back to the blue line picture at the bottom of your notes. Ted, if you want to put it up on the screen. So here's where we are in the story, and here's how I want to pull all this together. So guys, they're right now, if you, if you follow it on the line, they're in the first down, like straight south, that's called the Desert of Sinai, right before they're going to turn back up to the north a little bit. So they're on that straight downward stretch right there. So as you can see, there's plenty of line left they don't know about. That's just where they are right now in the storyline. And like I mentioned last week, the whole blue line is 40 years, five deserts, and they get to the promised land. And I think one of the obvious principles from this part of the story is, what's a core temptation we're going to face when we're walking out this blue line journey with God, when we're on the long and winding way, when we're trying to kind of keep pace with the three-mile-an-hour God, right? Slow down to catch up with God. What's a core temptation that we're going to face? I think the temptation is called going loony. The core temptation is we're going to want to indulge being obstinate and complaining and rebelling against where the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud is leading us and the pace in which he's leading us. We're going to want to push back against that. Now, who's on the receiving end of that? Probably your spiritual leader's on the receiving end of it. Perhaps your family's on the receiving end of it. Perhaps close friends are on the receiving end of it. But ultimately, it's really you and a God issue going on here. But the people around you may be experiencing the struggle. And that's a temptation. And say, so how do we battle back against that temptation? I think we battle back against it with working the muscles 
of gratitude expressed in worship. To just remember, to just work the muscles of the ways God has come through for you, who he is and how he's provided. Remember the manna he sent from heaven recently. Remember the mountain he moved. Remember the sea he parted. Remember the ring of fire. Remember the ways he heard your cry for help. Remember that. Work those muscles and then write the Exodus 15 song and gather together and lift up praise and adoration, even if it's through tears, even if it's through straining, work the muscles of gratitude on the blue line for what you can be grateful for on the blue line. Now, some of you are saying, yes, yeah, Samson, my blue line, I got nothing to praise God for on my blue line. Now, careful, because remember, what is on the blue line with you? Who, who did he say would always be with you there? The Lord said, I'll be with you. How about his companionship with you? Even if you're in your deepest and darkest place right now, Jesus said, I'll be with you. We can give praise for that. We can give thanks that he is with us. Even if we can't see, even if we're longing for the seas to part and the mountain to move, and it hasn't yet, he's with us. And resist the temptation. Here's, the, here's like the core outlet like of obstinate complaining. Here's when you really know you're going loony. When you bail on the blue line and you jump ship to the orange line. The orange line is the straight line last week that goes the Philistine way straight into the promised land. Once you do that, oh boy. That's when, remember we said don't sin in the wilderness. You'll just extend your stay. So resist the temptation. When you feel that pull to go back to old ways, old self, old life. Jump ship trying to go the orange line. You need good people around you. You need a reminder of a storyline like this. And the last thing you want to do is bail out with God on this blue line. Because you'll just, hey, you notice that, how the laps were? They had a few instances of that going on in their story. And he just loops around that desert. It's like, yeah, we need to spend some more time in Desert 3. Because you jumped ship, tried to get over on the orange line in the middle of Desert 3. So once you come back Desert 3, we'll just take another lap around here. So you'll stay with me in that. And then Desert 4 and then Desert 5, and eventually the promised land. Glimpse, descent, breakthrough. And where did he promise? I will be with you. I didn't promise it'd be the most direct route. I didn't promise it'd be the most efficient route. I didn't promise it'd be the easiest route. I promised I would be with you. And sometimes we handle that well. Oftentimes we struggle. And when we struggle, we tend to want to go loony on the story. And we go in this pattern of obstinate complaining. And the way we can push back against, kind of loosen the grip grip of grumbling. We loosen the grip of grumbling with working the muscles of gratitude. And so an appropriate week this week in the story, that this is a week where we don't just give thanks on Thanksgiving week, that this is a pattern. The most grateful people on planet earth should be the people who know Jesus, who walk with him, who know how the story ends, who's promised his companionship. We should be a people of gratitude, even in the middle of of the winding and long and difficult way. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that stories like this just give us such a commentary, I know, for my own self and my own struggles. And thank you for perspective. Thank you for the reality that you don't give up on us, that you work with us just like you work with the Israelites, that you get us where we need to be. It's probably going to be longer and slower uh, than we thought. Thank you that you love us enough, just like that song we sang, the mountains you climb and the walls you kick down. You keep coming for us, even uh, when we mess some things up and we grumble and we go loony and uh, forgive us, give us mercy and grace, strength by the Holy Spirit. I think of so many here who on their own long and winding way, somewhere on that blue line, wondering how long 
and when and what about and if only. And Jesus, right now, would you just remind them you are with them and you're a good and faithful God. And if you could take care of that scene with those people back then, you can handle this scene with us right now. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to wrap up one final song. We're going to receive our time.